You're listening to the Van Moody Podcast. Our passion is transforming the world by transforming lives. In today's episode, we'll continue our Get Closer series with part eight. Aniston Campus Pastor Joy Johnson will delve into her soap devotional and speak on the importance of wholehearted belief in the Lord and his promises. Let's get started. Hey, TWC family, happy Sunday. It is a joy to be with each and every one of you. I am always honored every time God allows us to connect in worship. And I pray that you've already been blessed by our incredible worship. And I hope that you are ready for the word of God. Listen, all summer long, we have been focused on one thing, and that is to get closer. And I, along with our campus pastors and others from our teaching team, we have been sharing the word of God with you from our soap devotion because we hope that that's what you're doing, that you have decided to get closer. You've been doing your soap devotion daily. I hope you have your copy of The Secret Place, the journal and the devotional, and that you've made your family a small group. Listen, I know that summer is is coming to an end, but we're still focused throughout the summer on this subject. And so I'm excited today because Pastor Joy Johnson, who is uh, one of the lead pastors of our Aniston campus. She's going to share the word of God with you from her soap this morning. So get ready as we continue to go forward in this amazing teaching series, Get Closer. And hey, don't forget, if you haven't gotten your copy of The Secret Place, you can still do it. Even though summer's winding down, there's still time for you to join in. We want everybody in our TWC community to focus on getting closer. Hearing the voice of God, spending daily time with God is absolutely critical and it is life changing. That's why this is our focus and we're encouraging you to join us. So get ready as Pastor Joy is preparing now to share the word of God with you. God bless you. Well, good morning, Worship Center family and friends, and those of you who are watching us from around the world, we greet you this morning with the love of God, and we want to welcome you, um, and thank you for taking time to join our service on today. I want to say thank you on behalf of our bishop and um, his beautiful wife, Pastor Ty, thank you. Um, We know that there's several other places you could have gone to fellowship, to watch online, but you chose the Worship Center Christian Church, and for that, we are truly grateful. Family, I pray that you are ready to dive into our soap devotion for today as we continue this series of getting closer to God getting closer. And I pray that you're ready to dive in as I get to share with you this morning my soap devotion. Um, I pray that you would take time throughout the day to review um, the scriptures and go through it and see what God has to say to you personally through your soap devotion. So we're going to do our soap, our scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And so we're going to just dive right in because we've had a tremendous worship, Um, and prayer and great welcome already. We're just going to go ahead and dive right in. And so the scripture that God led me to um, begin in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. So I'm going to read that for you, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version. You can read from any translation, but I'm reading from the English English Standard Translation. And again, it's John chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. 
And it says, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher and that you come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. And Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Family, today I just want to talk to you a little bit about John chapter 3 and what God has revealed to me during my personal time with him um, in getting closer. And so what I observe is that John, he's the author of this book, and he's the master of dramatic settings and symbolism and imagery. And in this particular setting, it takes place after the Passover, sometime after Jesus cleansed the temple and he's driving everyone out and he's flipped over the, the money changers table and saying that the people had turned the temple into a den of thieves when it should have been a house of prayer. And so this setting takes place the very next chapter. It begins with Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, coming to Jesus in the night. So just for a moment, let's talk about Nicodemus and who he was. Nicodemus was a Jewish ruler, um, very well versed in scripture, and he prided himself on striving to keep the law, not just the Ten Commandments, but the 
entire 613 traditional Jewish commandments is what he prided himself on striving to keep. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they believe heavily that their good works alone would get them into the kingdom of God. They believed in a Messiah, but they didn't recognize this Messiah. And it's probably because they thought the Messiah would recognize them once he came and that he would exalt them. But Jesus did just the opposite. Jesus believed just the opposite. Jesus taught that your good works could not get you into the kingdom of God. You only can get there by being born again. So Nicodemus didn't understand this. And in fact, he came to Jesus. The scripture tells us he came to Jesus at nighttime. Maybe he was concerned about his reputation. He didn't really want people or his peers or his colleagues to know that he had questions for Jesus, that he was curious about Jesus um, and, and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you are like that one today. Maybe you're in a position where you've heard of Jesus Christ, you know about him, but you don't know him personally for yourself. And you're somewhat like Nicodemus because you're, you're curious and you want to know more about this God that you hear others talking about, this God who um, gives life and life more abundantly. And you too want to know where well, there's good news for you on today because I'm going to tell you all about him. And so Jesus, well, I like how he cuts Nicodemus off. He doesn't really cut him off, but he knows the, the thoughts and the motives and pretty much knows why Nicodemus has come to him. Because if you look at the scripture, Nicodemus never really asked a question before Jesus interjected um, in verse three. Nicodemus um, came to him and he said, listen, he gave him a compliment. He said, I, I know that You've got to be from God because nobody else, a mere man, couldn't do these signs and these wonders and these miracles that you've been performing. So I know that you are, God is with you. And before he could even ask anything, Jesus answered him and said, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And surely that puzzled Nicodemus, maybe puzzling some of you on today. And so Nicodemus replied and he said, well, how can this be? Can a man be born of, be born again when he's old? Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? So Nicodemus is talking about a physical birth. He's talking about, can a person go back into their mother's womb to be born again? Jesus, what is this that you're talking about? Help me, I don't understand. And so the point that Jesus is making in verse five, Jesus says, he answers and he says, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm just gonna tell you that there is some um, debate about the water and the spirit that Jesus is referring to. Um, some theologians believe that he's talking about the baptism um, of the Holy Spirit or being baptized with water. 
Um, but according to the context in which this text was written, um, they were comparing a physical birth to a spiritual birth, and that'll be proven in the verse to follow. Because Jesus says in verse five, he says the point that he's making is that mankind can only reproduce itself in a physical way. But yet a child is born and has a spiritual nature that was not produced by mankind. So how can this be family? How can um, a human being be born physically and then have a spiritual nature that mankind didn't have anything to do with. Apart from Christ, that spiritual nature is cut off in a sense, but nevertheless, there is a spiritual nature there that man didn't produce. So where did it come from? It comes from God. And anyone who wants to enter into the kingdom of God must be born again. Family, there must be a spiritual birth. We can't see it, but we know something is happening spiritually. You know, you can't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind, for an example. And the same is true with the working of the Holy Spirit in someone's heart. You can't see the working of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, you see the results or the effects of the Spirit working on someone's heart or working in someone's heart. And so that is the point that Jesus is making. He says, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. And then he goes on to tell Nicodemus, don't, don't, you know, be confused about what I say it. You know, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it, but you don't know where it comes from. And so is it with everyone who is born in the spirit. The same things happen. We don't know what happens, but something happens when you're born again. There's a, a change on the inside that takes place. I remember um, a great man said to me once, he said that um, when he got saved or when he came to know Jesus Christ, he always was told um, that he would change, you know, so he was expecting his hands to look different and his feet to look different. Um, but he said that wasn't his experience. You know, there was a change taking place on the inside of his heart. And that is a part of being born again, being born again spiritually, family. And so I want us to understand that on today. And that's one thing that God point out, pointed out to me during my time, um, my secret time with him. And so we want to move on to the next particular um, verse of scripture that God revealed to me during my personal time with him. Nicodemus was still confused. In verse 9, um, Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? He is still puzzled because he's thinking with his carnal mind and he's not using his spiritual eyes and ears to hear what God, um, what Jesus Christ is saying to him. And Jesus, he, he gives him a riff and he says, hey, aren't you the teacher of Israel? You know, aren't you the one who prides yourself in keeping the commandments and keeping the laws and you're telling me you don't know what it means to be born again you don't understand these things 
And he says, you speak of when I speak to you about what we know, which are earthly things, you still don't believe that. So why should I speak to you about heavenly things? Certainly you won't believe that either. But nevertheless, Jesus goes on and gives an explanation. And he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And that's for verse 14. And what he is giving reference to, I told you that John is full of symbolism and he is referring to um, an act that took place back in Numbers, back in the book of Numbers, when the Israelites, when Moses was leading the, the Israelites um, out of Pharaoh's captive and they were in a camp set up, but they were, according to them, moving kind of slow. Moses wasn't getting them to the promised land as quick as they wanted to be. And so while Moses was gone, they decided to make idols on the golden calf or whatever and began to worship it instead of worshiping God. Um, they made this golden image their God. And so God in turn sent some serpents and the serpents began to bite at the people's feet. And so they came and they began to ask Moses, hey, please pray for us, pray this thing away. And so God gave Moses some instructions as he prayed and he told Moses, listen, I want you to get this bronze stake and I want you to take this snake and wrap it around this bronze stake and I want you to hold it up. And every time the people look up at this snake on this bronze stake, they will be healed. And so it's symbolic because now Jesus is saying this in John chapter three, that just as the same serpent that Moses held up in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Well, he's referring to this image of him on the cross. You see, the bronze always represents judgment and cleansing and the snake always represents um, sin. It represents our sin. And so when you see this bronze stake being held up, which represents judgment and cleansing, and then this snake wrapped around it, you see our sins. And in the medical industry, they use this same symbol um, as a symbol of healing. So the people saw when they held up the, the stake, when Moses held up the stake with the snake wrapped around it, the bronze stake, they saw a symbol of their sins, but they also saw judgment and cleansing at the same time. My God, Jesus is using that picture and he's saying just as the snake was lifted up, so shall the son of man be lifted up and that all who look to him shall be saved. And when we look at Jesus on the cross, we see our sins. We see our rebellion. We see our arrogance. We see our, our pride, our selfishness. We see all of that on the cross. We see that when Jesus mentioned this bronze stake being held up with this snake wrapped around it. We see all of that. We see the very thing 
that caused Jesus Christ to go to the cross in the first place. But we also see the means of our forgiveness on the cross. We see the way that God chooses to forgive us, and that's through Jesus Christ. We see that when we look at that bronze stake and that snake wrapped around it. And when we look to him, we look just like the people who looked up to the snake that Moses raised up on the bronze stake. We see, number one, our sins. And we see, number two, the means of the cleansing of our sins. And we see forgiveness. So there is work that takes place in the heart of an individual where they're bought back from a very certain death to a very certain life. When we look up and we yield um, and surrender all to that cross, we see the sins, we see Jesus Christ taking on our sins. He himself became sin. He knew no sin, but he became sin for us. And so now we can experience life again. We can experience life more abundantly when we accept that finished work on the cross that Jesus Christ did. He gave his life for you and for I. And he didn't stay dead, but he rose again. He laid down his life. And the Bible tells us that any man who lays down his life, he can pick it up again. No one can do that but Jesus Christ laid down his life so he was able to pick it back up again. And because he lives, we can live as well. And so now we find ourselves in John 3, 16, the entire gospel in a single verse of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. Listen, family, we are not saved by love. We're not saved by love. Love is what motivated God to send his only begotten son. We are saved by grace through faith. He sent his only son to die for us. And he didn't ask if we wanted to be recipients of this love. And that is what's so incredible. His love encompasses all things. His love is unconditional. His love is free and he gives it to us freely. But that part about believing that anyone who believes on him shall not perish but has everlasting life. I don't want to skip over that because God ministered to me and he said that we've minimized that word belief. We minimize that word believe to mean simply like believe in his existence or believe in like Santa Claus or how it's to say, I believe in Santa Claus or I believe in this and I believe in that. But it is much deeper than just believing in God's existence. James says it this way. He says, listen, demons even believe in Jesus Christ. Demons even believe in God the Father and they are afraid. So now what? Anyone can believe. 
This belief family requires us to put everything that we hope for behind it. We have to put our lives behind it, our futures behind it. It's to say, I believe he is who he says he is. I believe he can do what he says he can do. I believe he died and that he rose again for me. It's to say, I believe that when I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. It's to say that I believe that through him, I am born again. I'm a new creature in Christ and old things have passed away. It's to say that I believe that when I die, I am going to be with him. This belief is more than just in his existence, but it's also hope in him. And lastly, family, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. He doesn't have to condemn because a person's rejection of him is them condemning themselves. Jesus always creates a crisis um, or judgment for those who he encounter. And he always calls them to make a decision to give either one or two responses. And that's either a response of belief or either a response of unbelief. There's no in-between family. You're either gonna believe he is who he says he is and that he can do what he says he can do or you're not going to believe it. Believers are represented by light and recognized in Jesus and God's plan for the world. And they move toward him. And the opposite is true of unbelievers. They're represented by darkness. And they run away from God's revelation as they would rather remain in darkness. Family, the only way to not feel condemned is to come closer to God. He doesn't condemn. Satan condemns, and we as human beings, we condemn. God doesn't condemn. In fact, God wants you to know today that you are loved and that you are forgiven. And the way we put into action the message from today is number one, to accept the free gift of salvation. And confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. Number two is to share the good news with everyone you come in contact with. I don't know about you, but I don't want to know or to or to be certain that I am going to make it into heaven and not be sure that my brother or my sister, my family, my friends, those I know, those who I come in contact with don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So the second thing is to share the good news, share what you've learned here on today. And then thirdly, continue to nurture your relationship with Jesus Christ. And you do that family by spending time with him daily. Make him your first priority and not your last resort. 
Even Jesus made time for the Father. He had a set time and a set place. If you look through the scriptures, you always see Jesus stilling away to spend time with the Father, to get direction, to get clarity, to get strength, to gain understanding, not just to talk, but to listen as well. So family, accept the free gift of salvation and confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Share what you've learned here today with everyone you come in contact with. And then thirdly, continue to nurture your relationship with him. And remember, if you want to enter into the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Let me pray with you. Lord God, we thank you for your message on today. God, we thank you for making your word so plain that we understand it and that we can apply it to our lives where we're not hearers only, but we're doers of your word, Lord God. We feel your Holy Spirit convicting us on this morning, Lord God. And so, Father, we are praying right now for those who don't know you, and we're praying that they would come to know you, Lord God, and that they too would be born again. God, help us to share your word on today with everyone we come in contact with and help us to continue to nourish our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message from Bishop Van Moody. For more information about Van Moody Ministries, please visit vanmoody.org. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed week.